Heavenly Father, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would be here. We pray that you would guide us and that you would teach us, instruct us in the way which we should go. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right, things overcome. Obviously, this is just kind of normally we do this, you know, for the public. So you haven't been here for a day, but obviously you've already seen those things. We talked about some quick things to overcome cravings, uh, drinking water, walking. Obviously, you can't walk away from every situation, but if you're at work and you have a 15-minute break, you could take a quick break, you know, with your water bottle. We'll go for a walk and just kind of relieve a bit of the stress on the back and so forth. Uh, deep breathing, very important to get adequate oxygen to the bodily organs. And um, now a woman came to our seminar and she said, she, this was in Arkansas, and she said that, you know, they, we were in a small town in Arkansas and she lived out in the country and so to walk to her mailbox was a little bit of a walk. And so as she was walking out to her mailbox, she noticed that she had some back pain. And so as she, you know, was going to it, she thought, you know, maybe I ought to just try this deep breathing. So she began to deep breathe and the back pain soon went away. And sometimes we're just not getting adequate amounts of oxygen to our muscles. And so we feel awkward, we don't feel right, or maybe it could be even water like we read from Dr. B. And so getting our body to be in tune with the way God made it to be. He designed us to have adequate amounts of water, adequate amounts of oxygen. So give it a try. Just deep breathing can sometimes help with muscle pain. And adequate water can do the very same thing. But the most important out of these particular four things that we're looking at are Bible promises in prayer. And I can't explain how important those are just from personal experience that uh, many times, and I know I've done it, where when I first learned about Bible promises, and you know maybe that in, for instance, for any temptation you have, that there is a promise. There's a Bible promise for you. And then there's some general ones that could apply to any virtually any situation, but there are some very specific promises in the Bible, then there are some general promises that, that could be applied to those other situations. But in those situations, uh, when, let's say you're tempted, you know, you're tempted and you say, okay, you said, Father, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there has no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. So my temptation is common to humanity. Yours may be a little different than mine, but it's still common in the sense that, that other people struggle with the same thing. And some may be to different levels. Yours may be this temptation, mine may be another, but it's common to humanity, temptation in general. And so there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, but God is faithful. So Father, you're faithful. You will not suffer to me, me to be tempted above that I am able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, giving a, a Bible promise in a time of temptation is not like a magic trick. Not like, ha-ha, I said it, and boom, it just, you know, temptation now disappears, right? I mean, it doesn't work that way. Meaning, it takes faith. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible talks about that the, the gospel was preached unto them. Speaking of the Israelites, uh, chapter 3 goes on the history of the Israelites coming out of temptation. And in chapter 4, verse 2, it says, The gospel was preached unto them, unto the Israelites, as well as unto us. But it says the word did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those that heard it. Meaning, listen, it's not like the word of God is a magic trick, although there's divine power in it. There is, absolutely. But in that word, it has to be mixed with something in order for it to profit you. And that thing that has to be mixed with is what? Faith. So if you're going to be changed, you have to have faith in that promise and say, Father, you said this, and because you said it, Father, you said you're going to make a way to escape. Father, I'm looking for it now because I know you've made it. I know you've made the way to escape. Where is it, Father? Help me to have the eyes to see it. 
And so it's not a magic trick. We have to pray. We have to claim the promises. We have to cling to God and find the victory in Him. Now, this is our main text here, our main quote here. Um, happens to be, I think it's letter 85, March 16, 1896. So, you know, we don't necessarily say that with the general public. We just quote it. Never forget that thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form what? Character. So if we want to be changed, what has to be changed initially? The thoughts. See, what happens is sometimes, and we can even do it as Adventists. Now, a legalist, a legalist wants to just change his actions and his habits, and he is happy with that, and he thinks he is holy by that. But the reality is God, the loving God of the Bible, doesn't just want to change your outward self. The Pharisees and the scribes have changed their outward life, and Jesus described them as whitewashed sepulchers, right? They were basically full of dead bones, but they looked pretty on the outside, right? God doesn't want to do that with you. He wants to change your thoughts. He wants to change you from the very inside. Now, the frontal lobe, here it is, the blue portion of the brain, right? You got your red portion, you got your yellow portion, and you got your green portion and your blue portion, right? No, it's all one color. But the blue portion in the picture here, this is from Gray's Anatomy. From Gray's Anatomy, isn't it cool they made it blue? And blue in the Bible symbolizes what? The law, right? Blue is the law. I mean, you know, they had tassels that they would remember the law. And so blue, just by chance, they made it the frontal lobe blue. And obviously it's not literally blue. But God wants to write his law in our minds and in our hearts, right? So just kind of interesting. Obviously, this is, you know, pure chance. But nevertheless, it's powerful. Uh, now, the brain of a cat, 3.5% of the brain of a cat is the frontal lobe. What do you think has a larger frontal lobe, a cat or a dog? Cat. Cat lovers think it's cats. Dog lovers think it's dogs. Friends, it is a dog. A dog has 7%. Twice as much of the brain of a dog is the frontal lobe, right? That's why they're man's best friend. And cats are their own best friend, right? <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. You can have fun with a cat and you can love your cat, but the cat wants to do its own thing, right? It's like a wild animal that lives in your house, right? And it seeks after things like it's still wild, right? You know, where a dog, it's your friend. It just wants you to love it, right? And I hope I didn't offend anybody with that, but you understand. Okay, now um, chimpanzee has 17% of its brain as the frontal lobe. And you can see, obviously, what is a more intelligent creature, a dog, a cat, or a chimp? Clearly a chimpanzee. They can learn several forms of even sign language, very intelligent creatures. But a human brain, 33%, nearly a third of the human brain is the frontal lobe. It is what separates you from the animals of, you know, the creatures of the earth that you have an intellect that can not only think about those objects and things around you and interrelations with other creatures, but also that you have the possibility of thinking about a divine relationship with God and thinking about others rather than your own needs. And that's what the frontal lobe has to do with. Now, my wife is going to come up and she's going to talk, us, talk to us about a nurse by the name of Patricia. Okay, uh, this is another study with uh, the frontal lobe, you know, like the earlier one was Phineas Gage, and this one is Nurse Patricia. This is kind of sad. Uh, Nurse Patricia struggled with depression, and she thought that a frontal lobotomy would help her with her guilt. Um, 
pretty much destroying the frontal lobe with help or with their guilt. Remember what the front what is the the frontal lobe? The seat of spirituality, morality and the will. That's where you do a lot of your thinking, right? And so a lot of times your thinking will cause your guilt, right? Your things you do whatever will cause guilt and that's where we struggle with things. And so she thought, you know, maybe a frontal lobotomy where they took a um stylus and put it up what's that? Yeah, piece of metal st- stick it up through the nose. And just go in and and scratch the frontal lobe enough to destroy it. And so, um, yeah, so she thought that would help her. Well, this is what she was like before the surgical procedure. She was an extremely efficient operating room nurse. And she enjoyed reading books. This is what she was. And after, she lost much of her ambition. uh, Lost sympathy and interest in work. uh, Lost interest in books. And you would find her saying something like, I don't care if I make a mistake, it will turn out all right in the end. Is that what you want an OR nurse to say? No, you don't. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't care if I make a mistake, it will turn out all right in the end. Yeah. But what was she before? An extremely efficient operating room nurse. She's very efficient and she enjoyed reading books, but afterwards she lost that. And sometimes... Um, we wonder why we don't enjoy reading books and things like that, right? We might have uh, some impairments in our frontal lobe because the frontal lobe is the seat of spirituality, morality, and the will. Okay. Um, so that that's, you know, our second thing about the frontal lobe and just to, to integrate it because this is day two, right? To make us realize the frontal lobe is very important. And then I ask, how did it go for those of you that are doing the fast, right? Um, and a lot of people will tell me, oh, it was good. I, I'm surprised. Uh, I've never done anything like this. And I thought, oh man, how am I going to make it through? And I feel good. I feel clear in the mind and so on and so forth. And it's really encouraging. Some people are like, oh, I was a little tired. Um, think about it. If you've removed stimulants from your diet, you're going to feel tired, right? And so then we give some pointers on what to do and, and so on and so forth. And I might do that at the end here. So then what we add for the next day is um, veggies, right? Uh, greens and that kind of thing. That's what we add for day two. We st- we're still doing the fruits, but now to that, we're adding the veggies. Like in the morning, you can have your fruits. In the afternoon, you can have your veggies and all of that. And why? Why do we do it like this? Something that's really neat is um, after sin came in, we read in, in Genesis that God added something to the diet right after sin came in. What was that? The veggies, right? Why do you think he did that? What do you think is in veggies that is so important? Minerals? All kinds of things, right? There's all kinds of goodies in veggies. Um, One of them is chlorophyll, the stuff that makes it green, right? Chlorophyll is very similar to our blood composition. Um... In, in terms of uh, the chemicals and things like that. It's just a few things are different from chlorophyll in our blood. And so when sin came in, what started happening to our bodies? They started to de- deteriorate, right? Sin started to have its, its effects on the blood. And so God gave us a natural way of cleansing and replenishing the blood. And that's through our veggies. And um, it's really important that we get them. There ha- there's a lot of antioxidants that help with, you know, 
um, the free radicals and such. And so right away, God had a remedy for us. When sin came in, he, he uh, gave us something. And a lot of times it's kind of sad. What, what's the thing that we have to teach children to do? Eat your veggies, eat your veggies, right? And, uh, but, it, it, but it's God's prescribed remedy for, for um, helping us with our bad blood. So that's an encouraging thing that uh, we can eat our veggies for today. All right, so I have a question. Now we're getting into the cravings again. How long do you think the long, the the little, the average craving lasts? How long do you think it lasts? Anybody? Ten minutes? Anybody else have a guess? Three minutes? Anywhere from thirty seconds to three minutes. Yep. 30 seconds to three minutes is how long the average craving lasts. So how many of us can uh, distract ourselves from for three, 30 seconds to three minutes, right? Yeah. So we realize that, that um, a lot of times, though, it feels like it's going to last forever, right? The craving. And, and you think, like, how on earth am I going to get my mind off of this? But it's possible. So there's traps, right? With every warfare, there is... Uh, booby traps that the devil puts out and we need to learn the tactics of the enemy right if you're going to be a fighter you need to figure out what the tactics tactics of the enemy is and here are a few of the traps um and i'm sure you you have your own traps you have your own things that uh cause you to stumble and fall and and that's fine but these are just a few of the top ones that a lot of people have in common and are uh, things that get you into further temptations. So here we go. One of them is caffeine, okay? Caffeine is very much a trap. Uh, if it weren't so, people wouldn't make so much money off of it. <laughs> um, in Chicago growing up when I was a kid, we didn't have that many coffee places, but now if you go, it's almost on every street corner. Um, that you'll find a coffee place. And Starbucks wouldn't be so popular, would it, if it weren't for caffeine. And um, if you look at the end, the last three letters are what? I-N-E. What other things end in I-N-E? Nicotine? What else? Wine. <laughs> yeah, I never thought of that one. <laughs> That's clever, but that's not where I was going. <laughs> that's funny. Um, anyway, it's a it's a um, classification of drugs that end in I N E, and uh, they're all narcotics. You know, you think of morphine. You know, these kinds of things. It's a drug, and people realize that it's a drug. Um, in the hospital, when somebody's on all types of medications, they will be given a decaffeinated soda. They, they won't just give them, you know, the regular Coca-Cola or anything like that. They'll give them the decaf one. And um, that's because it'll con it's a contraindicative for the other drugs that they're on because it is a drug. And we need to realize that it is a drug. And what does it do? It stimulates the blood. Remember, we're looking for natural stimulation. And how do we naturally stimulate ourselves? Through exercise, right? When we exercise, we get that euphoric feeling. We get that excitement. The endorphins are released. We get addicted to that. That's great. 
Um, but what happens if we're not doing that? We were looking for artificial stimulation, and that's where the caffeine comes in. You get artificially stimulated, and it actually causes you to crave other things. It doesn't stop there. You start to crave other things. Um, and Chad will share about that with caffeine and smoking and how that works together. Also, your favorite chair can be a trap, can it? Uh, what do I mean by that? You're thinking, huh? Sometimes our, our uh, idle moments are the moments that we fall into our temptations, right? Uh, King David, what was he supposed to be doing in the springtime? He was supposed to be out at war. That's what the kings used to do. They would go out to war in the springtime with their soldiers. But what did he decide to do? Stay home and look out his balcony and he fell into temptation, right? And that's the idle times is when we fall. And you can sit even now while you're sitting and thinking like, yeah, when is it usually I fall into this and that and the other? And a lot of times it's when you have your hands aren't filled with doing something, right? Um, also, let's say, and this is an easy example because it just is, cigarettes. Uh, when do people a lot of times like to smoke their cigarettes? Uh, after they eat, exactly. Or when they wake up, right? So w you have to have a plan. Think ahead. Okay, after I eat, what should I do? I should get up, go start doing the dishes right away, go out for a walk. A little little bit of a walk after you eat is very good for your digestion. A lot of if you overexert yourself, it's very bad for your digestion. But if you do just a little bit, you get enough blood there and to the other parts of the body so that it aids in your digestion. So um, have a plan. That's, that's the bottom line for this favorite chair thing. A lot of people, uh, they get off work because nowadays you can't smoke at work. Get off work, you get in the car, and that's the first place you light up. So start to identify what your favorite chair is, right? And um, have a plan for it. If it's your house, clean it up. You know, clean it up of all the smells, clean it up of all the candy, clean it up of whatever it is that's going to cause you to stumble and fall. Then, um, what's another trap? Sugar. Yeah. See some people smiling. Yeah, sugar is another trap. Why is it a trap? Because it actually dulls the brain. And what are we talking about? Is having your brain in an optimal function so that you can make good decisions, right? It's all about making good decisions. And so if our brain is dull, we're not going to make good decisions. Um, here, I'll just share share a quote with you here from a, a doctor. Too much sugar may cause brain decay. It is well known that too much sugar causes tooth decay, but might it also cause brain decay? Recent research suggests that it just might. With a growing epidemic of obesity in the U.S., the number of people with diabetes is also increasing. Diabetes is due to the body's inability to maintain a constant level of sugar in the blood, as it should. Over time, this results in problems in many parts of the body, including the kidneys, heart, muscles, nerves, and brain. People with diabetes are more likely to have a heart attack or stroke at a younger age. In addition, they may be at a greater risk for a decline in mental function, which is brain decay, or dementia. Fortunately, improving eating habits and at avoiding excessive weight gain may prevent many cases of diabetes. Also, you realize um, 
you know, when you give a child some sugar and after the sugar has had its effect of getting them all excited, what happens to them? You get a crash in the blood sugar. They get very irritable and cranky, right? Just has that natural effect. And so you don't want that. You don't want that up and down. We knew a girl that um, was supposedly diagnosed with, uh, um, what do you call it? Bipolar disease and then and, um, they they said she was bipolar but what they discovered they actually then later the church sent her to like uh, one of our health institutes and when she got there they realized that she just wasn't eating much she would have like rice krispies or yeah rice krispies for breakfast and then she'd be all gone all day on something like that I think anybody would be bipolar if that's all you were eating all day right because what what's bipolar? Manic, depressive, right? What does your blood sugar do? Up and down. And so when you get that that simple sugar, you you get a spike in your blood sugar, and then you're just like all excited, and and you have all this energy, this fake energy. You're stimulated the wrong way, right? And then what happens after that energy is gone, or or that that blood sugar it goes it crashes. You know why it crashes? Because so much comes in the beginning, your insulin kicks in and it gives too much. Gives too much insulin to deal with a situation. And so then you crash because there just there wasn't enough. That there was nothing really there. It was just a big lump of sugar, but it was too much. And so then the the insulin kicked it down and then you're just like, whoa. And then you're depressed. So it's like that manic, depressive, bipolar. And so they 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 just changed her diet got her on a good diet and sleeping pattern and everything and she was fine all because she her eating habits and her sleeping habits and everything was just totally out of line right so um just in just an encouragement that we should be having our complex carbohydrates right all right what's another thing keeping it around chad was talking about if you have anything to give up give it to us right um what do you do to yourself when you keep something around? What are you telling yourself? What are you telling your mind? It's available. I need it. It's an option. Um, when you're coming to something like this and you're putting your effort forward and you're putting your mind um, in this direction saying, I'm going to overcome. This is what I want to do. It's best to just take everything else out because if you don't, you're saying just in case this doesn't work for me, I have that to fall back on, right? Just in case. But that that's not what we're we're doing here, right? You want to go full ahead with God and um that just in case is is the word of God, right? Just in case um I forget to drink my water and this and that and the other, I have the word of God and I have prayer. I have God with me all the time because water doesn't save us. <laughs> right like drinking enough water like doesn't save us and and doing the deep breathing surely doesn't save us right but it's it's that claiming claiming God's promises and sticking with him and having that connection with him and when the stress comes in I don't turn to the cigarette I don't turn to the candy I don't turn to um the bad thoughts I I turn to God and I commune with him and he brings the the peace right so not keeping it around. Look at what it says here in Romans 13, verse 14. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So don't keep it around because you know the flesh is weak. God knows that. That's why he says don't make any provision for it. Don't put things around that you know you're going to slip and fall, right? Make provisions um, for the spirit to work, right? And so we have to think ahead. Uh, I'm going to be going to so-and-so's house and I know such-and-such happens there. What am I going to do about it? You know, um, the holidays are a really tough time for people in keeping on track, Uh how about bringing something that will be pleasant for others to partake in? Like, let's say uh, you really struggle with desserts, right? And you're like, oh man, I know aunt so-and-so is going to make this really good dessert and da 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 and you don't want to take partake in it, whatever. I'm just giving an example. And uh, you decide, okay, I'm going to make something really nice and then maybe everybody will like it and ask for the recipe. And then you've put a positive thing in, right? And, um, you just have to be proactive in thinking about these things. Uh, I'm going to be going to a youth conference and I might not get enough sleep while I'm there, you know. <laughs> and I might not be doing this, that, and the other that I normally do. Have a plan for that, right? Uh, make sure you get out when we have the breaks. Get the sunshine, the fresh air, doing whatever. Uh, make sure you get plenty of time with the Lord because I know that's something we struggle with whenever we go to conferences is, you got to get up early. You got to, you know, you're staying up with people and stuff and you just start to feel like I was supposed to be here for spiritual reasons, right? <laughs> and you feel like you're getting drained. And so we have to make a plan, make a plan that I'm not going to let these things get in the way. Uh, another thing is when you go to school, a lot of times we, um, if we go away for school, you, everything is school, you know? eat, sleep, live, everything is school. And one thing that we lack is making a plan for our spiritual life while we're at school. That's the biggest problem we have as young people is we get so caught up in achieving that we forget to add God in there. And so I'd, I'd um, encourage you, have that, claim that promise um, in uh, Matthew 6.33, what does it say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And that, that means making a plan of, of keeping your body in tune with God's plan so that you can make it through school better than others. How many of you know Dr. Neil Nedley? You've heard of him, yeah. Um, you know, during medical school, a lot of times the other guys would stay up late, and he decided, he's like, Lord, I'm going to follow your principles through medical school. It doesn't matter how, what, I'm going to follow your principles. And they'd sit at night and study all together. And he's like, okay, I got to go. I got to go sleep. And they're like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to go to bed. And they're like, you don't know this any better than we do. How could you be going to bed? He says, I'm just going to do it. And then he'd get up earlier. And in the morning when you get up, all your hormones are brand new, fresh, and you actually can retain more in the morning than you do at night. And so he would. And guess what? He did a lot better than the other guys. All because he followed God's principles. He decided, I'm going to be faithful, and look at him today, right? Praise the Lord. Um, and you could see that even with Daniel and his friends, right? They decided to stay faithful amongst their brethren. So don't make provisions for the flesh, but make provisions for the work of God to work in your life, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
All right. So um, there's other traps. They not, may not always be the, the, the kind that are tangible, but they could be a stressful place or situation, right? Um, it could be work. It could be home for some of us. Um, it, do, it, it doesn't matter where it is. It's, it's a stressful place or situation. We'll talk more about what you can do in these things. How about uh, a particular person, right? A particular person could be a stressor to you. And um, I'll tell you quickly, I know a doctor out in California who um, had a conversion experience. And through her conversion experience, things changed at work. She had a very bad relationship with the financial officer at the time because she was the head doctor of her practice. And so they would always have issues. But when she had her conversion experience, she started coming into work and asking different nurses and doctors, oh, can I pray with you? Oh, sure. Okay. So she started praying with them. Then she'd come in and sit down in somebody's office. Can I share something with you in the Bible? She started sharing. Then she started having Bible studies with another and another. Then she, she started gaining that, that strength. And then she went into this financial officer and started doing the same thing with him. And they started becoming friends. They started becoming friends so much so that for her birthday, he threw her a big party at the office where they did not get along at all before, but the Lord turned it, and that particular person became a blessing, not only to her, but those around her. So all because the Lord worked, and she gave it to him. So, so God can turn that around, but we'll talk more about that later. Uh, repetitive memory. Chad's going to go over this in just a bit. Um, we're plagued with that. We play something over and over and over and over in our heads of the past situation. Oh, I could have done it like this. I should have done it like that. I, oh, and, and we beat ourselves up and, and just over and over or something that was done to us. Um, we play it over and over in our heads and, and it drives us nuts, you know, and um, we just can't shake it. I'll tell you later on about some situations that I went through where that happened to me and how the Lord gave me victory over it. And God can change that. But like I said, Chad's going to share that with you in just a bit. And also, um, how do we overcome cravings? Like we said, we say this over and over again for us to get it. Drink your water. Get up. Remove yourself from the situation. Go take a walk. Get exercise in your program. Bible promises and prayer. Spend that time with God. The deep breathing so you can get that oxygen to your brain so you're working that brain properly. And then also you need to ask yourself questions. Um, what kind of questions, you know, you need to assess the situation and realize, like Chad said, uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen says what a righteous man falls seven times as rises up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. So does that mean like, oh, okay, I just tripped and fell. Let's just keep going. Who cares? God forgives me. No, right? We ask ourselves questions. Um, what, what was it I could have changed in that situation? What could I learn from it? Um, did I get enough sleep? Did I, uh, was I stressed out? Did I get proper food? Was I, um, did I exercise? Did I do this? You know, you, you start to learn to, to do that analysis and realize like, yeah, how could I, how could I expect myself to do better if I'm not getting enough sleep, doing this, doing that, doing the other, and, and spending that time with God? Did I really spend that time? Am I just going along and do whatever? So you start to ask yourself these questions and not to be overly critical and become so 
um, focused on self and your sin, but just enough to realize how can I improve that next time, right? So that we're not just like, oh, who cares? God forgives me. Let's go forward. But realizing, okay, Lord, I, I messed up. I'm sorry. What can I do different in the future? But Chad also has another question to ask. I was just thinking of something before I go into the other question. Uh, I've been reading some powerful things, and we're, I'm going to be sharing with you some new things um, about the brain, some powerful new insights about how the brain works with plasticity and these kinds of things. But one of the important things, the frontal lobe is the last portion of the brain to come to fruition when it is, it is uh, not evolving, uh, developing. Developing is the word we're looking for. So as you are growing up, or we're not talking about evolution here, but as a, as a child, as you're growing up, your brain is developing, right? And as it's developing, the last portion to fully develop is the frontal lobe. How many of you are under the age of 30? How many of you are under the age of 25? Okay, good number of you yet. And some good news for you who are under 25, and not as good news for myself and the rest of us who are over 25. I'm 30, but uh, your, the frontal lobe finishes developing around 25 years old, maybe up to 30 years old. So since the frontal lobe is a portion of the brain where you, you know, your spirituality, your morality, and your will, your decision-making center, you still have time to strengthen your frontal lobe to a large capacity. We who are older also can too because of brain plasticity. But for you, it is still in development. So I want to encourage you. A lot of times we think like, ah, when I get old and retired, you know, I'll get a better relationship with God, you know, because everybody can, you know, follow God when they're old and retired or whatever. But the reality is, is you want to be strengthening your frontal lobe now this is the time your frontal lobe not mine mine's done I've grown too old for it right but you are young enough that you can have your frontal lobe still you can actually it can grow in a stronger way and think about we're going to talk about specific ways to have the frontal lobe strengthened but I want to encourage you one of the most important is spend time with God in his word every single day so very, and, and not just reading it like, uh, not just, uh, uh, you know, I read it, I'm done, but actually contemplate, think, what does this mean? What is this saying to me? How can I apply it to my life? And as you do that, you are strengthening your frontal lobe, which is still in the process of developing. Because, you know, for the rest of us, it's just too late, right? No, no, it's not too late. No, there's, we're going to learn there are things that we can change too also, all right? It's not too late for the rest of us. But you are in a very special state is what I'm trying to say. So, okay, ask yourself, where do I want to be in 10 years? Now, that may seem simple, but this is a question not just for young people. We ask this to all different ages. Where do I want to be in 10 years? Sure, if I'm elderly, sure, I'm going to get older, but the reality is uh, I can decide some things about that. Because by my lifestyle, I can choose, you know, maybe I won't be around in 10 years because I'll, I'm eating so bad I'm going to have a heart attack in 10 years if I'm too old, right? But the other thing is I can choose to change my lifestyle so that I can potentially be around and still be in good shape as an older person. But for a young person, you have to make decisions. What am I going to do? What do I want to really be? Where do I want to be in 10 years? Sometimes we don't think about it because we're just like, ah, I got school, I got this, I got this. But where do I really want to be? And so now if... If the things that I'm doing in my daily life do not coincide or don't fit with where I'm going to be in 10 years, I need to start changing, or where I want to be in 10 years, how can I start changing things today? What can I do today that will prepare me to better become, I mean, do I want to, if I struggle with being cranky all the time now, uh, do I want to be cranky in 10 years? 
Well, no, if I don't want to be, then I need to start changing things in my life so that I won't be that person. Because I've heard it said, and I believe that it is true, that in 10 years from now, you are going to be the same person you are today, except for two things. Except for the people you meet and the books you read. That you're going to be the same person you are today in 10 years, except for the people you meet and the books you read. Meaning, if you just choose to go on with life, if you're just watching TV every day, you're going to be that same person in 10 years. You're going to be the same cranky or the same negative or the same, you know, whatever, all these things, unless you begin to read something that will change your life. And obviously nothing can change your life like the Word of God. Nothing can change your life like the Word of God. Powerful things from the spirit of prophecy. You can read some wonderful thing about brain science or, or whatever it is, but you're reading something, you're making a diligent effort to look at something that would be good for you. Maybe something about nutrition or about health or about exercise, but you're choosing to do things that will change your life and the things, the people you meet and the people you choose to fellowship with are going to you know, unless you're there specifically only for their witnessing purposes. You're there, if someone, someone may not be godly, they may not be in this situation, but I'm there to witness to them so that I can be a changing force in their life. But if I'm just there to just hang out, I'm going to slowly be changed into their presence or into their character. That's going to happen. Unless I am the one who is there to be a witness, to be a changing force in their life, you know, by the Holy Spirit and by God's grace. So where do you want to be in 10 years? You need to think about that. And number two, what physical shape do you want to be in? Obviously, we have this health message, and I'll tell you, I was not raised an Adventist. I ate junk food only all the time. All the time. I, was, I, I became an Adventist when I was 19 years old. I went to an evangelistic meeting, and, when I, and then I went off to the Mission College, which was in South Dakota at the time, and they had healthy food there. I had never had a salad in my entire life. I had never had lettuce that I can ever remember in my whole life. I ate junk food only all the time. I looked healthy because I worked out, but I felt physically horrible. I felt terrible. And so because of this, you know, my joints ached, my brain was sloshy and I couldn't think. I mean, sure, I was in college and I could get okay grades or whatever, but I felt terrible and it was desperately hard to work and concentrate on things. But when I started eating healthy, and I already exercised, so that just, you know, followed in also. But when I started eating healthy, getting regular sleep instead of going to bed at 2, 3 in the morning and sometimes drinking myself to sleep at night, when I changed the, the health message, some people just hate it. Like, oh, that crazy old health message. Oh, that's so terrible. For me, it's such a blessing. I can't tell you how much of a blessing it's been to me. It's totally changed my life. And the thing is, I know sometimes within the church we hate the health message because we're like, oh, that's legalism. But the people of the world, the people of the world think it's awesome. I mean, while we were living in Iceland, we're meeting atheists, agnostics, and they're like, oh, you're a vegetarian? You're a vegan? Whoa. They love that, right? People of the world are like, that's awesome. In the church, we're like, ah, you know, that's the, you know, it's terrible, right? But the funny thing is, in the world, they're like, that's awesome. You're into that? Oh, that's, I, I really respect people like that. So no, no, we don't go around hammering people over the head with it. You're not saved by like, you know, eating lettuce or whatever. You're saved by your relationship with Jesus Christ. But it is a blessing if you think of it as a blessing. If to you it's like, I don't eat that. Well, listen, that's not beneficial to constantly be thinking of what you don't. I don't even care about what I don't eat. I care about what I do eat, right? I'm not constantly worried about, you know, bad food. Just eat the good stuff and don't worry about it, right? It's meant to be a blessing and not a curse on you. And so, to me, it's been a blessing. But to what physical shape do you be, want to be in in 10 years? Well, then you need to begin to implement things now, right? So you're making decisions according to where you want to be. 
right? Because obviously you can't change everything about you today. Every, things are gradual. We are made like this, right? First the uh, seed goes into the ground, the blade springs up, and the, you know, as it buds, it finally comes to the fruit. Things are growth. It takes growth and it takes time. Now, if you don't make a decision about these things, you have already made a decision, right? Because you're going to be the same person in 10 years that you are now. Maybe a little crankier, a little worse, if you don't choose to go in a better direction, right? So we want to be moving in the direction that God is calling us to. So we need to have our thoughts changed so everything about us can be changed. We want to be changed by the Word of God. Now, this sounds so simple, but uh, many times people that struggle... For instance, when I was smoking cigarettes... Uh, when I wanted a cigarette, was I thinking about the long future? Was I thinking about 10 or 20 years down the road? No, I was thinking about right now, instant gratification. We live in a society where I want to know uh, what's going on in China, and I can tell you right now what's going on in China, right? I mean, if I want to know anything about the world, I can check it, and my phone will tell me immediately. So we live in a society of instant gratification, right? Anything I want to know. What's the weather like in Australia, Sydney, Australia? It'll tell me immediately. We live in a time of instant gratification. Most of the things we look at, we don't even need to know, but instant gratification is such a part of our lives that we don't have time to read, because we do read. We read when we're on the internet, and if I don't find that sentence interesting, within 10 seconds, I go to another website, right? But the reality is, is history hasn't been that way. If you are reading a book historically, you read a few pages that are not interesting, but part of life is pressing through things that are not constantly exciting, right? You have to live through things and have delayed gratification, right? We have to have delayed gratification. And when we're tempted, we're not thinking about the future. We're thinking about the immediate gratification. So when I'm thinking, I'm stressed, I need a cigarette. And so I'm thinking about right now, but that's destroying my future. And so what we need to do is take our mind, when we're tempted, take our mind off those things. We put them on the Word of God, but God has a plan and a purpose, right? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts, and pe thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end, to give you a plan and a future, basically, is what he said. I have a plan for your future, and when you're tempted, you think about right now. But the reality is God says, I want you to think about the future. I want you to realize that there's a purpose and a plan for your life, and it's not about instant gratification or about what happens around you every single moment. So when someone's tempted, we encourage them, especially, you know, you know we have drug addicts, alcoholics, smokers, all kinds of different things. Uh, have a list, write a list, and I would encourage you to do this too. Write a list of 10 things that you want to accomplish. For some of you, it could be many more. And some of them can be long-term goals, but I want most of them to be relatively short-term goals. You can have long-term goals, like I want to write a book, I want to do this, I want to whatever. Uh, but also, have a list of things like, I have to clean my bedroom, okay? Or maybe be more specific, I need to clean the sink in the bathroom. Now, that seems so simple, but think about this. Let's say, you know, you're, you're at home, and you're not always at home, but if you're home and you want a cigarette, I know we're not all struggling with cigarettes. It's just an easy illustration because, you know, I struggled with that. So when you want the cigarette, okay, I want the cigarette. Well, the cigarette is going to harm my health, so I know, okay, I don't need, Father, give me strength. Father, I know you told me that my body is the temple of God. And if I destroy my body, you're going to destroy me. Well, that doesn't sound very good. So, Father, I pray that you will help me, that you will give me victory, that you will give me strength. I want you to dwell in me. So, Father, listen, I know I need to start, I need to start living a life that looks toward the future. And if I need to look for the future, things need to change now. Well, I know my bathroom is dirty, and that's kind of nasty, having a dirty sink. So I'm going to go in there, and I clean the sink. And how do you feel after your, your sink looks all clean? How do you feel? 
Doesn't it feel good? Like you like to go to the bathroom and you're like, ah, and you're cleaning your ass and you feel good about the fact that your sink looks good, right? Or your bedroom looks good and like you like going to bed at night, right? And so it just, it, everything's better because now you're implementing these small little things that seem so minimal, but as you're doing that, life around you is getting better, right? And pretty soon, if you're doing these things on a regular, uh, you know, you're making a regular habit out of it, then everything around you starts getting to a certain capacity better. Life starts getting more organized. You have more time to look toward the future. And then you have other things that you're like, you know, uh, I want to, you know, maybe you haven't been in school for a while. So you're like, you know, I would like to do this. So, well, I need to learn about it. So I get a book. And now, now I'm reading about this. And as I'm doing it, it's changing my mind. I'm looking toward the future. So you have a list of 10 things. Some are things that are close at hand. And some can be far off things that you will want to accomplish. So I just want to encourage you to give that a try. Now, we're told this. I think it's in Patriarchs and Prophets. But I just say it in general crowds. Idleness is the greatest curse that could fall upon a man. Fadi kind of brought that out earlier, right? King David, right? He was on his balcony board and he started looking at pornography, right? Well, not pornography, but he started seeing a woman, uh, you know, bathing on top of her roof. And men, the time they struggle with pornography is generally when they're on the internet and they're just kind of surfing and then, you know, this goes up and this happens and it just kind of, uh, you know, they, idleness is the greatest curse that could fall upon a man, the Bible says. Or not the Bible says, Patriarchs and Prophets rather says. So, but the point being is that, listen, when we're in those times where we're not accomplishing something, we could be doing something that is more, we're looking to the future. We actually have a plan. Why am I doing what I'm doing? And we can start implementing those things. And as we do, we find more peace because we're pressing forward to that goal that we have that God has put on our hearts. Now, there are some effects of stress. A stress is a part of everyone's life in some way or another. Now, it all depends on how we look at the stress, right? Your emotions are not brought about by the situations around you. They're based upon your thoughts about the situations around you. Because two people can be in the same uh, stressful situation. One is at total peace, and the other one is going crazy. But they're both in the same situation. So it's not the situation, it's what you think about the situation. Notice this. There are two types of stress in this study. Powerful. Uh, there's acute stress, which is, occurs when a threatening event appears and then is quickly resolved. Your body is well designed to handle acute stress. In fact, your body can even benefit from stress, much in the same way that exercise works. Acute stress can help you become stronger, so you're better prepared physically for further emergencies. I'll give you an example. I was going for a run. I was in Illinois. We were living in Illinois for a while. And <clears throat> I, like, I like to exercise. I've given up on the running because I have a bad hip, and so now I just ride a bike or do other exercise. But I was going for a run at the time, and while I was running, uh, I, look, I heard, hur, 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 and I look to my left, and I see a Rottweiler. And the Rottweiler, he's got his you know, chain around him, but he did this little move. It was like he knew how to do it. He like backed up, and I saw it just fall off. And then I saw him running right at me. Now, Rottweilers are big dogs. And so as he's running at me, what, what do you think happens? My, my heart, yeah, fight or flight. My heart rate increases. My blood pressure increases. My breathing starts to shallow, right? Starts to shallow breathe. I don't think of all that, but I just think about the dog coming, but that's what's happening physiologically to me. And as he's coming, I go, stop! You know, I try to act like I'm not afraid of him, but I'm terrified. And so I'm yelling at the dog, and I'm trying to keep him at bay. Well, praise the Lord, the owner of the dog assessed the situation, heard the dog, heard me yelling, and so they come out of their house, and it's always the runner's fault. You know that, right? But nevertheless, the owner comes out of the house, and so they come out, and they see the situation. They see what's happening, and uh, as they come out, 
they put a stop to the dog. Now, as that happens, what begins to happen to me? Well, you can, well, I went for a run, so my heart rate didn't go down immediately, but I continued on. But typically what would happen is your heart rate begins to go back down, your blood pressure begins to go down, and your breathing will slowly return to normal. Now that's acute stress. It's actually, it can actually be good for you. It's healthy for you in a certain capacity, but there's something uh, called chronic stress. And this is the negative kind of stress that happens when the event remains constantly on your mind and does not go away. This can harm you because your body has no recovery phase during which to rest and rebuild. The lack of downtime both depletes your body's reserves and postpones long-term rebuilding which causes the premature deterioration of major organ systems, serious illness and even death may result. What does this mean? Basically, when so something bad happens to you, somebody is mean to you, somebody hurts you, and so the thought comes into your mind and the stress comes along with it because of what they've done to you. And then you choose to play that over and over and over that day. And then the next day you play that same thing over and over. Well, I could have done this. I could have done that. I should have done that. I sh this should have happened. Why was I even there? I wish I wasn't there. It would have been better. And so we're just playing it over. We see the event. We go over. And as we're going, it, it, the stress hormones in the body are elevated. And over a time, it becomes chronic stress. And it becomes literally deadly to your body. It destroys your body. This is what we call chronic stress. And we're going to talk more about these things. So we want to learn to overcome these things. We don't want to constantly go over these things because thoughts work out emotions, but thoughts also work out actions. Repeated actions form habits, and habits form character. So we can choose what we think about, and we're going to talk about that in just one moment. But 30 volunteers were subjected to two experience, so experiments. Group one had to watch a 12-minute gruesome surgical procedure. Anybody doctor in here? Well, for a doctor, would that be very stressful to watch a gruesome surgical procedure? No, that's part of life. You cut people open, you do that. It's no big deal. It's not stressful to you. It's work. Well, it's probably a little bit stressful, but not watching it. That's not so bad. Um, but number two, the other group had to memorize information and take a 12-minute test. Now, is it stressful ever to take a test, yes or no? Yes, not everybody, but many of us it is. Now, but what they discovered is something interesting. The one was passive, meaning you just had to sit there and watch this terrible thing. And the other one, you actually had to actively accomplish a goal, right? Powerful. Check this out. During the experiments, each person gave saliva samples that were analyzed for immune system components known as secretory proteins. These proteins help protect the lining of organs such as the lungs and stomach, guarding against the invasion of bacteria and viruses. While the levels of secretory proteins increase during active stress, the immune system actually dropped during passive stress. You see what that says? What it says is that when you're passively stressed, like you're just sitting there, oh, you know, I hate this, I can't stand having to go through this situation. What's it doing to your body? Your immune system is actually dropping and it's hurting physically your body. Physiologically, you're being destroyed. But when you're actually setting out to accomplish a goal, is it stressful? Yes, it's stressful. But that kind actually increases your immune system. It's actually phys physiologically good for you to set out to accomplish something, to work at it, and to go accomplish that particular task. Isn't that powerful? Meaning it's a blessing to go accomplish something, but when you just sit back and know you should be doing something, you're passively stressed, and it's actually destroying you. So sometimes it's just good to get out there and do something, but you don't want to make it too prolonged or it can you know, become chronic. But perhaps stress is not the big bad thing everybody is thinking it is. In fact, most acute stressors boost the immune system, 
only when stress is unusually prolonged or repetitive, it becomes a potential threat to your health. So we need to be accomplishing things. It's actually good to set out to accomplish something new in your life and learn something new because it is actually a benefit to you, to even your health. Now the mind and the body are linked, science is discovering. Now we knew this all along from the Bible, is that right? The Bible's very clear, especially through people like Solomon, right? A merry heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. It's having a positive spirit. We know that the mind and the body are linked, but science is now beginning to discover these things too. Certain emotions release hormones into the body that in turn can trigger the development of a host of diseases. Researchers have directly and scientifically linked emotions to hypertension, cardiovascular disease, diseases related to the immune system, like autoimmune diseases. Studies have also highly correlated, uh, it says it there, correlated emotions with infections, allergies, and autoimmune diseases from emotions. Now, <clears throat> specifically, researchers linked emotions such as depression to an increased risk in developing cancer and heart disease. Emotions such as anxiety and fear have shown a direct uh, tie to, to heart palpitations, mitral valve prolapse, irritable bowel syndrome, and tension headaches, as well as other diseases. So negative emotions, not, not that they cause all of these things, but they can yeah, exacerbate the problem. Right? They can make it worse, the fact that you have some of them. Some, some of them, they might actually be partly a cause, but the reality is it gets worse because the negative emotions are hurting our immune system, right? Our body can't fight off the negative invaders because we're fighting our body with our thoughts. Our thoughts. We're choosing to destroy our bodies. Now, chronic or prolonged stress, that could be happened. So this long period of stress can happen from a past event that stays on the mind. That it constantly goes through your mind. That can create uh, chronic stress. You're hating your present life. I hate my job. I hate this. Well, listen, I would say this to you. If you really do hate your job, I'm not, I wouldn't quit immediately because it's a hard market to get another job right now. But start seeking out another job. If you can find another job that's better, get another job. But sometimes we're just negative people, and so we hate whatever we have, right? So you've got to learn to be changed. You have to find, find it in your heart from God that he can change you so that you don't just hate every situation of life. Now, also lacking forgiveness can cause prolonged stress and unhealthy relationships. A young lady is uh, dating a man who is not of the faith, who is not of God, and people are encouraging you, this is not from God. You need, and, and so she enjoys it, but there's, a, there's, a, there's an amount of stress, and, and we enjoy sometimes this sin. Sin is actually enjoyable sometimes. And so in, in, in that situation, it can actually cause prolonged stress. Being in an unhealthy relationship, it becomes an unhealthy marriage, it becomes an unhealthy situation for the children, and that causes prolonged stress. So you can choose whether or not to get into any of these, but it's better not to. Two Vietnam veterans were talking to each other. They had both been in, in prison. They had been imprisoned and gone through a, you know, this terrible camp experience, concentration camp type experience. And one of the soldiers asked the other soldiers, have you forgiven your captors after they got out? And you know what the response of the other one? He said, no, I will never forgive them. The other returned back to him, and you know what he said? He said, then I guess they still have you captive, don't they? And that's the case. That is the case. That when we choose to hold on to anger and resentment for what someone's done to us, who's the one who is, who is having the bad time? It's me, right? 
to me, if I'm cho choosing to hold on to this negative experience. So, <clears throat> uh, this is powerful. What's that? Yeah, we'll talk more about that. This is powerful. Those who are able to withstand their captivity in prisoner of war camps, I, I heard someone sharing about this, that they, they, they had kind of done some studies. This is probably uh, Vietnam War era. But they had tried to figure out, how did these guys make it through? Uh, there were two specific things. Two specific, that had nothing to do with the lemon. But these specific things, no, um, one of them, yes, one of them was that these, was those who had strong moral and religious convictions the people who made it through the torment and the you know, trials they went through. And the second group were those who memorized Bible verses and went over them regularly. Wow, right? So important for us. Now listen, it's not just for the concentration camp type situations that we need God's verses. We need them now, right? For the little trials of today and for the good times of today. You know, thank the Lord with the text. I mean, we can do these things. Now, how many of you like to eat lemons? Okay, now imagine with me for a moment. Somebody doesn't. I can see. You don't really like lemons, right? No, okay. Um, now, listen, I, I would love to eat lemons, but I've, I one time drank just straight lemon juice, like, a, like glasses of it, and then my teeth just hurt literally after that. So I don't eat lemons, but I would like to because I like how they taste. But now imagine with me for a moment. Take a lemon. Just imagine with me. You, imagine taking a lemon and you cut it in half, and I that amazing citrusy smell, right? And then just imagine that you smell it and then you begin to drip it down into your mouth and it just has that wonderfully amazing sour taste, that citrus taste, right? Goes into your mouth, it's so wonderful, right? Now, don't think about lemons, okay? Don't think about lemons, that yellow citrusy fruit. Uh, don't think about that. Don't think about lemons, okay? Don't think about lemons. What do you think about when I say don't think about lemons? Oranges. Oh, good job. Oranges, right? But most of us are thinking about what? Lemons. lemons. Most of us are thinking about lemons. Now, this is the reality. Sometimes we're tempted, right? Now, I want you to think about this. Um, okay, so lemons, 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 lemons. How many of you like to eat apples? What, what's your favorite kind of apple? Pink lady, Fuji. What else? What is it? Granny Smith. They're the green ones, right? I like those too. They're good. Anybody else? Macintosh. Have you guys ever had Honeycrisp? Yeah. Those are phenomenal. They're crazy expensive, but they taste so good, right? And um, I don't know, but they just taste super good. Well, now what are you thinking about? Apples, right? See, here's the deal. When you are tempted, what happens is this. Let's say you're, you're let's say, what's your temptation? It's just easy to talk about cigarettes. We'll just say cigarette. So you want a cigarette, and so then you tell yourself, don't think about the cigarette. Don't think about the cigarette. I can't think about cigarettes. I shouldn't smoke a cigarette. I know I shouldn't smoke a cigarette. What are you thinking about? You're thinking about cigarettes, right? And your thoughts work out actions. Thoughts work out actions. So if you're telling yourself, don't smoke cigarettes, don't, think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and you're thinking about the cigarette, 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 thoughts work out actions. Repeated actions form habits. You need, if you're going to be changed, you need to have new thoughts, right? So now every time the temptation comes, I want a cigarette because I'm stressed. Okay, I'm stressed, but God told me in Isaiah 26, verse 3 and 4, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on who? Thee, on God, right? So God, you said you'll bring me into peace if I think about you. Father, please give me the strength to keep my eyes on you. I thank you that you sent your son into this world to give me victory. That he died on the cross to save me from my sins. And now when I'm thinking about these things, am I thinking about cigarettes, yes or no? No. And as I'm thinking about that, it will change my brain. 
the physical structure of my brain. It changes who I am. And those new thoughts that I have are going to cause new actions. And those new actions are going to be new habits. And those new habits are going to become my character. So we cannot just think, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And that's why a lot of times, that is legalism. Don't do this and don't do that all the time. But listen, are there things we shouldn't do? Absolutely. But we don't behold the things we don't do. We look rather to Jesus Christ. And thinking about him and his word changes us from the inside. And so we're whole new people, not because we're strong in and of ourselves, but because he's strong and we beheld him. So I really want to encourage you to do that. They did a monkey test. I'm really fascinated with tests scientists do with animals, but I don't necessarily say I would do it. And so if you hate those tests, that's okay. I understand, but they did them already. And so I just read about them. But <laughs> now these scientists, they took these monkeys and what they did is they put them in a cage. And this is a wicked test. I don't know where they came up with this. But they, they, they had a pole in the middle of the cage, and they had some food up at the top of the pole. What do you think the food was? Bananas. They put some bananas up at the top of the pole. So what do you think the monkeys would do when they saw the bananas at the top of the pole? They would climb the pole. But the thing is, these scientists were there with hoses. And whoo, they would shoot them off the pole. So they would start, it's wicked. I mean, who came up with this scientific test? I do not know. But nevertheless, I guess if you're alone with the monkeys long enough, you start, they come up with these deviant ideas. But nevertheless, so they're working with the hose and whoo, they shoot them off. So then the other monkey thinks, well, I'm going to go get him now. So he starts running up, whoo, they knock him off. And they're knocking the monkeys off the pole. And sooner or later, what do you think the monkeys learn to do? They learn you don't climb the pole, right? And so they do it. And, they, and every time they try, every time they try, finally, after a while, the monkeys learn you never climb the pole. Even though the bananas are sitting right up there, you just never climb the pole. Well, what ends up happening, once they totally got acquiesced to the idea that you never climb the pole, they took one of the monkeys out of the cage and stuck a new monkey in the cage. Well, what do you think that monkey's going to do? Climb the pole. So he starts running up the pole, and as he starts running up, one of the monkeys runs up and grabs him and pulls him back down. And he's like, what? I'm getting the bananas, right? So then another one, so he tries again, and another monkey grabs him and pulls him back down. And the monkeys tell him never to go. And after a while, guess what? They're not shooting him with the hose. But after a while, that monkey learns you never climb the pole. Then they pull out another monkey. And then they put a new one in. Same thing. They pull him down. And then they go on. And they finally take out all the monkeys who had been shot off the pole with the fire hose. And what they end up doing is none of the monkeys have ever uh, been shot off with the fire hose. But as new monkeys come in, they're pulling them down so they don't go get the bananas. And they don't even know why. They don't even know why they don't climb the pole to get the bananas. But they have all learned, society has taught them that you don't climb the pole, right? The reality is, think about this. Sometimes what we do is, we, we have been held down because maybe our family told us, you're stupid, you're just not smart enough, right? You're, you're not good enough, you can never do it. Sometimes we hold each other down, but God isn't the one who's holding us down. And I'm not talking about becoming successful in the world's eye, becoming successful for God, that he's called you to accomplish a certain thing. And you say, well, how could I ever do this? No, I guess I couldn't on my own do this. But if God calls you to something, he's going to give you the ability to do it. And so we shouldn't be holding each other down and yanking and putting each other down and telling someone they're dumb and these kind of things. But God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. He has a place for you to be. He may have you a witness somewhere in Africa. He's talking to a young man here who's witnessing overseas. And God will call you. God will call you to where he will call you. And whatever he's calling to, he will give you the divine strength to do it. No matter what our parents think, maybe, you're, maybe you have godly parents, but maybe you don't. And if you don't, I mean, my parents just pled with me not to go off and do what I'm doing right now. They pled with me. They cried. My grandparents cried. My friend's mom cried. It was terrible. It was rough. But I knew God had called me 
to go, and you have to go where God says, regardless of what people around you say. Be faithful with what God says. He has a plan for your life. Fadi's going to come up. Actually, she won't. We're going to call it good right here. We're going to call it good because you don't have headaches yet because you're not really on the fast. So, um, but yeah, but we'll call it good for now. And then I know we have other things coming. But let us, we're going to go into several other things on finding victory in Jesus Christ as we go forward. But let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you've called us to victory. And just like the Israelites who were being bitten by serpents in the wilderness, if they beheld the serpent and the snake bite and just kept their eyes on that, they would be lost. They would die. But they were told to look away from the bite and they were to look up to that serpent upon that pole. And in the same way, if we just behold our sin and the effects it has on our body and the effects it has on our family, and we keep our eyes upon it and we behold and we think about it and we go over it and we go over it, we can be lost in our sins. But if we will take our eyes off the bite, off the pain the serpent has inflicted, off of the serpent, off of the evil, and we turn them off onto our Savior Jesus Christ uplifted on the cross, recognize that he took that sin to the cross, that he died not only to save us, but to give us a new life in him. That we can become in character like your son, Father. May we behold him, may we, may we look to him, may we be changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord, as your word says. In Jesus' name, amen.